Who wants to start us off with a question? Well, the question was, how many times have I done this kind of seminar? And uh, I don't think I have done this exactly like this before, but I've sp- spoken on th- these themes often. Um, yeah. Thank you. Any other questions? That was an easy one. Yes. The question is, when do some of our fears become idolatries? It's, it's not a wrong thing to fear things, and often, actually, it's, it's a wise recognition that there are dangers out there. A, a fear becomes an idolatry when it leads us to do the wrong thing. And so, so the moment our fear or any other desire outstrips our desire to please God, it becomes an idol at that point. So an idol is, is anything other than God that we're living for. And I suppose at any given moment, if we're choosing sin, there's a reason why we're choosing that sin. And it's because something is more important to us than God at that moment. It might be our pleasure. So I do what's wrong because I just want to please myself. It might be other people. I want to fit in with the crowd. I don't want to stand out different. That's the idol. It might be the government. It, there are all sorts of things that it could be. And with a fear, it might be, um, normally fears lie behind that. And so the fear of missing out might be a fear that, that's related to the idol of self and pleasure. Or the fear of disapproval, or the, uh, that's the, the, the idol of peer pressure. Or the, the fear of not being successful, or might be the idol of success. And um, if they lead me to do the wrong thing, then they become an idol at that point. Or maybe they're revealing that they are an idol. That makes sense? Anyone else? You give me a very easy time. Yes. Thank you. I don't know where you heard that, but it's a reference to um, the quotation under the open Bible from Hebrews 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And related to that is the question of when's it right to judge and uh, when's it wrong to judge? Well, God is always right to judge um, because God is the definition of right and wrong. And so there's no sin in God's judging. And uh, so when his word challenges us, it shows us where we come short and it reveals the wrong things in our hearts. To what extent can we as Christians judge? The Bible does say, you're right, do not judge. It's it's Matthew chapter 7, or you will be judged. Don't judge. But we can misunderstand that. And um, it's it's actually one of the most commonly quoted verses in the Bible, certainly in Britain. Oh, doesn't the Bible say you shouldn't judge? And whenever Christians are speaking clearly about what is right and what is wrong, the chances are someone says, don't judge. But they fail to understand the difference between judging and judgmentalism. So we are to judge in the sense that we are to discern what is right and what is wrong. It's not judgmental to say that uh, telling the truth is good and lying is wrong. And nor is it um, judgmental, actually, if I'm saying to someone... Look, brother, 
sister, I don't think you should have told that, that lie. That in itself needn't be judgmentalism. It, it, it's the motivation that lies behind it. Am I telling them so I can point out how much better than I am than they and make myself feel good? And then the, Jesus says, look, before you start pointing out the little speck in your brother or sister's eye, what about the huge big plank in your own eye? Deal with that first. That's what it means. But it needn't be judgmental. It might be love. It's not a desire to point them out. It might be love that says, brother, sister, or in the church as well. I might recognize things that I don't think are as good as they should be. Maybe I'm in a church where the truth of the Bible isn't really taught. Or there are people behaving in sinful ways. And I mustn't think as a Christian that I'm blind to, to what is right and what is wrong. But what the Bible says, whenever I start noticing the sins of others, I must not be blind to my own sin, and I must not point out the the, the sins of others in a way that makes me feel good about myself. So it's an attitude thing that's really been talked about. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. The question is, can I give some practical examples of what it means to depend on Christ moment by moment? I want to broaden that, to yet depend on Christ, live by faith in Christ moment by moment. Um, let's just think of a typical day. I get up. I'm tired. And I'm busy. So do I bother to read my Bible and pray? Um, if I don't have faith, if I don't, if I don't believe these things are true, if I'm not living in the light of them, then I won't bother. Why bother? I might as well just live for the things of this world. But I know deep down in my heart, because I'm a Christian, I know these things are true. And so a little part of me is saying, oh, don't bother, you're just too busy. But I know by the Spirit that God is there and that I can't live the Christian life on my own. And so the first decision I've got to make for me in the day is, am I going to pray at all? Am I going to read the Bible? And so I need to live by faith at that moment and say, Father, please help me to focus on you and to delight in you. And then I go out and I go to to work and um, someone is driving in front of me and they're keen to get to work quickly as well and they steer in front of me and I'm tempted to shout at them and well I've got a, a choice then my, my desire is to, to, to shout at them say terrible things but do I believe do I believe that Jesus Christ has died for me and he died for sin so sin is bad do I believe that his spirit is in me so that I should live the Christian life do I believe that I can actually resist the temptation to shout terrible things at him I've got a choice there and I'm to live by faith at that moment and say, Jesus, it's living in the light of the truth of the gospel. And that will mean buttoning up the tongue. There's not, there's not to deny that they've done something wrong. And I might want, for the sake of others, to, if I had an opportunity, to say, look, I don't think you should be behaving like this. You're going to kill someone. But it's not out of hatred and anger. I could go keep going through the day. We're facing these decisions all the time. Am I going to choose to do that good thing? Am I going to say no to that bad thing? It's about moment by moment as I walk, living in the light of the fact that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God, that he did die for me, that he did rise, 
He's ascended in heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit. Am I going to apply these things and live by them in the details of life? Okay? Who's next? The question is, how important is it to have a grateful heart in living a life of devotion? And uh, I think it is really important because if, if, I, if I think of the Christian life as something that's a burden that's been laid on me, then that's not enough of a motivation to do it, by and large. And, and yet, joy is a big theme in the Bible. And it's, it's, it's not joy that drives out sorrow. Often there is sorrow, there is struggle, but in the midst of the sorrow and the struggle, there's joy. Be joyful always, Paul says. And joy comes from a gratitude in who God is and his promises for me and what he's doing in me. And so I think very often in difficult times, my emotions are taken over by things that are hard. And when I'm just conscious of all the things that are hard and I might feel that God hasn't been answering my prayers as I would like, it's very hard to live the Christian life. But if I maintain a discipline of thanking him, I've quoted those words. You'd be surprised at all the things the Lord your God has done. You start the day and you're just conscious of all the bad things and then you say, I'm going to thank him. And you start thanking him. After a while, you're amazed. Actually, there's an awful lot to thank him for. And no matter what's going on in my life, I can always thank him for forgiveness, for the Holy Spirit in my life, for the certainty of being with him in heaven. I mean, those are three pretty good things to be starting with. And then I might begin to find I actually want to live the Christian life. So I, we, we used to, uh, when I helped with camps for teenagers, they'd come and we'd give Christian teaching to the teenagers. And at the end of the week, we'd have a 45-minute prayer meeting, which was just a praise meeting. So before we'd prayed, we had 45 minutes to praise him. And at first we'd think, oh, how are we going to spend this time? But it went so quickly. And it was a really important discipline because normally we would have been reviewing the week or just praying for the kids as they went home. And to have that time, and when one after the other, we thanked him. And we remembered all the ways in which he'd helped us. And even if we couldn't think of those, we could thank him for the gospel, thank him for the truth, thank him for those who'd been praying. There's so much to thank him for. And it changed the whole attitude. And then we'd pray. Who's next? Thank you. That's so helpful. That's the first verse I ever read and learned in the Bible. Um, the first verse I learned was Philippians 4, verse 6. And so often we do have anxieties, don't we? There are many worries. And uh, Paul is saying, don't worry, but instead present your request to God. So those things we're worried about, pass them to the Lord, and then thank him. And both are really important and change our perspective. You're... It was one last question. One last question, Michelle. Michelle was saying that, that uh, so, some people she knows, knows well... Uh, have been Christians for a long time, but perhaps as time's gone by, have become less zealous and less joyful, and uh, that makes it very hard for you, and you don't know how, how, how should you relate to them, and how do you avoid the same thing happening? I think the first thing, how can we avoid the same thing happening, is to recognize it's a danger, and, and by and large, in the Christian life, we don't go from here to here. It's gradual. It's just gradual slippage. We get out of the habit of spending time with him and delighting in him. We get out of the habit of fighting a particular sin. We compromise, and we don't 
go from that stage to some terrible sin. It's just a gradual compromise. And then over time, once we've gradually gone down, it's much harder to get back where we were before. And I think just an encouragement to us, if we feel we've been going downhill, to resolve today to live by faith, moment by moment, and hope that things will go back in a different direction. We can't presume that we'll remain fresh, which is the purpose of this uh, seminar today. How to relate to others who we feel have lost some of their zeal. It's very hard, especially if they're older people and we want to show them proper respect. And it's very hard. It doesn't seem appropriate for us as younger Christians to be saying to older Christians, you've lost your faith, you've lost your zeal. Um, so how do, you, how do you help them? I think the first thing is to pray. And, and the next, um, it's possible to share one's own joy without condemning them for their lack of joy. And so for me, it's always encouraging to see a very young Christian excited about things that I've been in danger of taking for granted. I've known them for years. But then to see someone seeing it for the first time reminds me, yes, it is actually very wonderful. And so um, don't feel that you've got to hide the joy of your faith. And that can be a tremendous encouragement to those who are a bit bit older in the the faith and then can be losing their, their zeal. Thank you very much, Vaughan. Can you join me in thanking Vaughan?